But you kind of laugh it off. You're like, yeah, well, everyone wants employees, you know, because then you don't have to do the work. But the kind of the more we thought about it, it's like, yeah, no, he's right. Like, it's just more kind of headaches that we don't need. Everything we looked at, we kind of look at as where can we automate it? And the citizens fall right into that, where a lot of the time the parts are done when they come off. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. On today's episode, we continue our season about Swiss machining. Our guest is Dan Rudolph, co-owner and founder of Rudolph Micro. Rudolph Micro produces medical parts as small as 0.1 millimeter on citizen lathes. The company has only three staff members, Dan, his wife, and his father. But Dan says he has no plans to hire employees, and the company continues to grow. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am honored to be with Dan Rudolph, co-owner and founder of Rudolph Micro. They are a Swiss shop, citizen shop in East Earl, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the show, Dan. It's really great to have you. Hey, thank you, Noah, for having me. It's uh, good to good to be on. Um, big fan. I've listened to a couple episodes and excited to talk to you. Awesome. You know, it's it's funny, the small world of this industry and how you get turned on from one to the next. And, you know, I just interviewed somebody else about Swiss machines and they said, oh, wow, got to meet Dan. You got to meet Danny. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. First, let's just give people like the real brief summary of what Rudolph Micro does. And then I'm going to get a little bit of, you know, the quick version of your story of how you got into it. And then we're, we're going we're gonna to dissect Rudolph Micro a little bit. Sure. So what what do you what do you guys make? What are you running? What so are you we doing? do we we produce uh, medical device components. So mainly stainless steel and titanium uh, components. We use Citizen Swiss uh, lathes for that, and we have a total of eight right now. Um, probably adding a few here in the next year. Um, we also have a Haas mini mill and a Robo drill, uh, and then we have some support equipment. We have a couple uh, universal robots. And uh, and then an assortment of finishing and, and wash systems for, for cleaning the parts before we send them to our customers. Mm-hmm. And you specialize in smaller stuff. Yeah, we, we um, as we were getting started, we decided that doing the smaller work, uh, since we we're, we're just a two-person shop uh, when we were started, 
Um, and with not a whole lot of intention to add employees, we decided that if we were in the micro side of things, uh, that lends itself well to small equipment, um, smaller mm-hmm. inventories, and, and just an overall kind of less demanding environment in terms of space and equipment and, uh, and inventory and things of that nature. And that was that turned out to be true? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, like I said, we have eight CNC Swiss machines and they're, and they're all fit into a fairly small uh, shop building that we have. The bulk of the equipment's in about 900 square feet. Wow. Uh, and we're growing into another, we have another 900 that's available for uh, machinery in terms of uh, the cement floor. Um, and then we have about 900 square feet for finishing space. Uh, that's on a second floor. So we have uh, a couple robots upstairs that do blast finishing and deburring. And then we have our wash systems and inspection stairs as well. Interesting. And this is for specifically for eye surgery? Yeah. So it, it just so happens that a lot of our local customers are in the eye uh, surgery field. Um, mm-hmm. So they do contract manufacturing or they're an OEM for surgical uh, supplies. Okay. So you're 36 years old? Correct. Okay. So give me the brief summary of how you got into this and and, um, you're working with your dad. So how did this all come to be? Yeah. So uh, growing up, uh, my dad was always very industrious. He would have, um, he would go to work early before I woke up and uh, he was a supervisor uh, at a Swiss uh, machining department um, for for an eye surgery uh, OEM, and he ran. He actually set up the department. Um, he was hired to uh, kind of get their Swiss operations started, and he had various experience prior to that. So he he worked very hard to get all that set up and running. And then um, I didn't really understand that at the time. I didn't really know what he did, um, but but in the evenings, then he would. Uh, he had a small foundry that was sort of his hobby. So we did brass casting. And I'd, after work, I'd go along with him to work in the foundry and mainly just play in Hot Wheels in the sand half the time. But I kind of picked up a lot of that and, and kind of formed a good working relationship with him. Um, and he would teach me, you know, various tasks, a lot of sweeping up and shoveling sand, but uh, you know, nothing wrong with that either. Uh, and then over time, uh, after high school, I went to Penn State for industrial engineering, and I uh, got to know the professor that oversaw the foundry program there. Uh, so I kind of went in that direction and did some internships and worked in a couple of foundries. And then my first job after college was um, as a quality engineer or foundry engineer uh, at a foundry in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Hmm. And I, I worked there for about two years. It, it, I enjoyed it, um, but it, it was heading in a, in a role where I was going to end up being a supervisor of, of like a early 3 a.m. foundry crew. And I was like, eh, this, is, this, is not, this is not what I want to do. <laughs> so kind of around that time, uh, kind of the opportunity to, to form something with my dad kind of cropped back up. We kept talking about it. You had talked and, uh, about it over time. Yeah, it was always something that we saw as an opportunity because through his his network, th- there seemed to be an availability of demand for uh, machine components. That industry has grown and it's been busy since, you know, since it started in the 90s. When, uh, so it was always kind of on the table as an opportunity. So we kind of noodled it over. And then finally, we at some point, I, I kind of don't remember what made us take the plunge, but we uh, 
we got talking to the citizen dealer and we're just like, yeah, let's, let's get one in and let's get something started. So did you learn to operate the machine from your dad? Uh, kind of. Well, that actually going back to high school, um, <laughs> he, he bought a, an older L16 citizen L16, mm-hmm. um, that was for sale and put it in our garage when, when we, uh, this was before he, he lives at the shop that we have now. Um, this was in just like in a residential garage. Um, so I, I picked up kind of the, the basics of how to program it and how to set it up. And he had a couple of buddies from work that would come over and kind of coach me up on it. It was very interesting at the time because, um, I was sitting through, you know, pre-calc and, and trig and those math classes and I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. And then suddenly like you're looking at a, a CNC control and, and a part drawing, you're like, Oh, this is what this is for. Wow. So it, it kind of clicked that, that switch in my head that like, Oh yeah, all this math I'm learning is very useful. Interesting. Which really kind of got me going. Cause I was always in, I'd always been into computers and I liked math. I enjoyed it, but I never really saw the, the connection. And then CNC's, they brought the computers, they brought the math, they brought, making stuff, it, it kind of all came together for me. Um, and I was always fascinated by machines, just any, any kind of machine I enjoy operating really. And that was at, at the foundry. That was kind of part of the thing too. We had, uh, some automatic molding machines that were really fascinating to watch. I enjoyed being around them. So I think, I think a Swiss CNC is the perfect fit because it's, it's complicated, a lot of things going on, a lot of moving parts, uh, a lot of math, a lot of programming. So it's, it, it all kind of came together. He isn't a very, he's not very into the actual operation side. He's more of the supervisory role, getting, you know, getting the team together to, to make the parts versus making of the parts. Um, so that's kind of my role is I run the CNCs and then he oversees part quality, making sure that parts look good, getting them cleaned up. Uh, any other operations that need to go on, he'll uh, develop the process, passivation, cleaning, uh, blasting, all that sort of thing. He's very good at taking the desired output and working back to what, what you need to do to get to that point. But you're more, um, you want your hands literally hands-on on the machine. That's that's, that's one of the things that makes you tick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love, I love production. I love running the means. I like setting them up. What do you, okay. So you make parts that are um, 0.1 millimeters. The smallest part we've run production on is is uh, has it has a diameter of about four thousandths or or point one millimeters. So that's kind of the smallest. But we've done a lot of uh, work with thin wall, like two thousandths thick wall parts. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to describe sometimes how how small they are. Um, but uh, we drill holes that are you know seven eight thousandths in diameter. Wow! Uh, in, in stainless steel or in titanium and. and the problems that you run into are, are never the same. They're always a little bit different on each part. Right. Well, it must be an entirely different skill set than somebody running parts that are half an inch. I mean, yeah, I think inch. it is. But I, I, I think to some extent, it's it's imagining a half inch part just in a smaller world. Um, mm-hmm. The forces are different, but they're they're all relative. So if you have a small part. A lot of times what can happen when you have a small part uh, is that they, they just break off the bar stock while you're turning them. Uh, and you need to think about what's actually going on there. Well, you can't take a thou per rev when, when your part's only four thou, you know, you got to scale your feed rate down. You got to 
go slower and and imagine what's happening to the part um, versus imagining it's it's a quarter inch part that you know you can hog on like any other thing. Um, so I think uh, a lot of that is um, a mind shift, but it's not it's not any more difficult once you wrap your head around the scale of what you're working on. Mm-hmm. That and being conservative. I, what I like to do when I'm working on very small parts is is break it up. I'll, I'll turn a couple features and then uh, stop the machine and see what's going on. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll program the subspin to come in and grab it just to make sure we actually can find the part. Um, a lot of the parts, once they're in the subspindle, you need to take a razor blade in and, and fish them out with a razor blade because they're that small. Yeah. Do you have like a, like a magnet to pick them up with? So a lot of, a lot of the small stuff, um, there's just an air blow through the subspindle. So we'll pick it off with a subspindle and then open the collet and blow air back through it and then, mm-hmm. um, push them into little jars or into tubes. <laughs> wow. So yeah, when, when you get to that size, a lot of it is... It's hard for me to, it's hard for me to really imagine. I mean, you have to have, I should have studied this before the interview, <laughs> but like, is there a big like magnifier around the machine or? No, no. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all about, yeah, you, you make a, you make a part, uh, find it. Hopefully, hopefully it's in the subspindle, take it out <laughs> and then, uh, and then put it on, on your vision system or whatever you're using to measure them. Okay. And try to identify what is going on. And yeah, I think, and that's, that's definitely been a skill over time that I've developed is like, when I look at a part, I can kind of tell what happened to it uh, now that I had that experience. So I can, if there's, if there's rub marks in certain spots, well, I know the cutoff tool is not very sharp because it's trying to pull it back out of the subspindle collet. So there's kind of some key things you start to realize after you do a few jobs like that. Uh, and then sometimes, your parts just stop showing up and you realize, oh, your front turns dull and it's breaking off uh, the bar stock while you're turning it. And then there's no part there when the subspindle comes in because it broke off. So then you got to work backwards and figure out how do I troubleshoot that? Well, you know, sometimes you just take all the tools out and put them back in and start over. That's a thing. (laughs) You have a very interesting environment you work in. So very small parts, small machines, small work area. So the shop is in the house where your where your parents live. So yeah, so my parents live in a uh, in an old stone farmhouse. It's probably about two hundred years old, and uh, it used to be a farm, a working farm. Um, but the the barn was, I guess, uh, demolished or whatever. And instead of the barn, they have two. Uh, about 900 square foot garage type buildings, um, just cinder block buildings. Uh, they used to be garages. Um, so they're not, it's not connected and it's not technically it's, it's an industrial zoned area in town, um, which was kind of the attractiveness to, to, for dad to have bought that. So over time we, we, we set up shop in one of the garages and then we grew into the other one. And then the next year we connected the two with a, with a little building in between. And then we built a second floor on the, on the one. So we've kind of filled out the garages, but essentially we're still working out of two garages. Yeah. Okay. And he lives like right yep. next to it then? Yep. Across the driveway. Yep. How far away do you live? I live about five miles away. Yeah. So I can, over the Long summer distance. I can ride my bike or usually drive. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and you work with your wife as well. Yeah. So about two years ago, I want to say, um, my wife was a CPA. She had been a CPA for about 10 or 12 years. And just kind of as our, as our lives have changed, she kind of was done being a CPA. You know, you do enough tax seasons, January to April, and she would work 60, 70 hours. And yeah, and she just was kind of done. And and that's pretty common uh, with, with some accountants. They just, if, if you if you don't want to be a partner, which she didn't want to be a partner, you just can be done at some point. So as we as dad and I were busier and busier in the shop, we thought it would be maybe a good time to try uh, get her coached up on what he does. That way, when he uh, wants to spend less time as he gets closer to retirement age, maybe she'll be ready to kind of lead it up with me and we kind of take it over together. Yeah. But uh, what we've done instead was just got busier and busier. And now we, we're we all very busy. So the three of us pretty much work. So she does the books all alone, but just by herself. Yeah. Yep. Yep. She'll do the accounting and the invoicing and, and all that sort of stuff. With my dad, he always used to do that before she came on. So they'll kind of work together on some of that stuff. And then she is, her kind of role is to shadow and support uh, the work that he does. So she can become an expert on that till the time that he's he's ready to do something else. Yeah. Um, whereas I'm pretty much going to remain doing all the machining work uh, myself for the foreseeable future. Okay. It's just the three of you. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you replace yourself? <laughs> I don't know. Like wh- what, why do I need to be replaced? I mean, what if you want to... What if you wanted to just go on vacation? What if something happened to you? What if you just decided you you needed to focus on some other aspect of the business? How are you able to do it with the amount of people you have? It's it's really I see it like the way you describe it it sounds like you ha- you have some great advantages from it. But I feel like that you must have some good strategies for being able to to do all this. I mean, look, you're a father. You, you, you told me before this interview that you're doing homeschooling for your kids. Well, my wife is. <laughs> okay. Well, she is, but yeah, she is. So how do you do it from automation, from lights out, from what, what, what are your, what's your secret? Yeah. So I think um, early on when, when my father and I were beginning this, I think for whatever reason, we, we just didn't want to, be people managers. We, we like doing the work. And I, and I think, it, I think we recognize that. And I, I don't know that everyone recognizes that at the same point, we would go around to some other machine shops in the area that would help us uh, when we were getting started before we had a mill. Um, we had a job come in that needed a couple secondary operations in a mill. And we would explain to the, to the owner of the other shop, you know, what we were doing and they'd ask, you know, how many employees? You know, well, we don't have any employees. Okay, well, don't get any, you know. You don't want any. They're just <laughs> headaches. They it's are. Like, and it's like, sure. okay. Like, you kind of laugh it off. You're like, yeah, well, everyone wants employees, you know, because then you don't have to do the work. But the kind of the more we thought about it, it's like, yeah, no, he's right. Like, it's just more kind of headaches that we don't need. Every Everything we looked at, we kind of look at as where can we automate it? And the citizens fall right into that where a lot of the time the parts are done when they come off. 
So that's automated. Um, sometimes they need secondary operations. For instance, we do a couple part numbers that um, go through our mills after they come off the Swiss uh, for some geometry that you could probably do in, in one setup on a Swiss, but just kind of the way we've gotten to the point where uh, we do it on the A20 and then we bring it off to a, a robo drill that has a robot to load the part mm -hmm. to kind of get the cycle times to work out in a reasonable way. It just makes sense to, to do it that way. Um, so we have a robot, a universal robot that will load the robo drill uh, for 10 hours at a time. So I can just set the parts up in, in about five minutes and it will work for 10 hours without me. So we've looked at every opportunity we can and the jobs that we bid we really look at in terms of how can we automate it? And if we can't, we don't bid it or we, we bid it in a way that we won't probably won't get it. Um, <laughs> Meaning what? If, if, if it was worth enough, maybe you would get an employee, but it better well, be worth or, enough. Or, you know, my time and my dad's time is, is the resource we're selling. So that needs to be, you know, the way we look at things. Yeah. Um, it's easy to fall in, it's easy to forget that and to bid too much. Um, and we learned that I think last year we, we really, in, in 2020, we really took as much as we could get in because what's going to go on. We don't know where, we don't know where this is all going to go. Whereas we, we've, we've, uh, reframed that for 2021 where we're really not taking much in, um, outside of existing customers. So because you have enough. We have enough. We have more than enough. And we need to get better at the stuff we're doing currently. An FYI to our thousands of listeners out there. We're always looking for new show sponsors, new ideas for episodes, and feedback. Obviously, positive feedback is nice. But if you have some constructive criticism, it's also really good. Feel free to send emails to the contact info on todaysmachiningworld.com. If they're interesting, maybe I'll read some on the air. What's the number one thing you want to work on? Um, the number one thing is there's a lot of rough edges around some of the processes. In, in medical device, you need to make sure parts are clean and free of any burrs and loose material. And um, generally what that ends up meaning is that you're spending a lot of time under a microscope either removing burrs or looking for burrs. So I think there's, we, need to, we need to tighten up our machining processes on some parts, which will allow us to reduce the time under the microscope. Don't you find that if you're so busy, like running the shop, then how do you have time to go and come up with these solutions? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's right where we're at uh, on some of those things. It's, it's, and they don't get done. And um, that's one of the things we'll we'll get at. Sorry, I won't bust, I won't bust your balls. No, no, no. no. But, it, but it's like, every, everybody's working on that. That'll and be that'll be like you know we got to get this this part, and that's like I I want to get it fixed too, but I'm doing this other thing, and it, it that creates tension there um, because he he deals with the part that has a burr in it, and I I know I don't want to give it to him with the burr in it, but I don't have a way to solve it. Uh, so we, we kind of go round and round and, but you know, you're, you're both in agreement. You don't want to get some other person into the mix. That's just going to make it even, even more annoying. Right. It's, it's, you got to solve the problem, not, not patch over it with someone just to help you get the, get the crap work done and just do a better job on the work is, is the key there, you know? 
Okay. I mean, I find it's hard because you want somebody to come and do bullshit for you that you don't want to do, but then you have to tell them how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, I, I don't do very good with that. And that, it's, it probably, <laughs> that, that leads into why we don't have any employees is because yeah, till I explain it to you, I could have done it. And like, that is the way I look at everything. And, uh, I think the reason, uh, my wife helping us has been successful is because she knows the way I think, and she'll jump in and do things. I can explain it to her once and then we're good. And, um, there's probably not a lot of people you can do that with. Yeah. I, I, I have her running, uh, the UR robots and she does uh, a lot of the shipping paperwork and stuff that I used to do shipping paperwork while I was running machines. Not a good idea. Yeah, no, stuff would get screwed up constantly. And I'm like, as soon as she came on, it was like, okay, you got to do shipping because you can sit down and focus and I can't. So help me with this. And now that stuff just gets done and it's it's really been helpful for me. Do you, do you have any advice for if somebody else is listening to this or reading about this or whatever and goes, yeah, I... Me and one other person, we want to start our own shop and just do it all uh, by ourselves with no employees. Do you have any advice for somebody to to do that? Yeah, I I I think about that a lot because I'm very thankful to have a partner and my dad to work with. I don't know how you do it by yourself. Um, I think there are guys out there that do it or attempting to do it or do it by themselves. Oh, terrible. I can't wrap my head around that. Just the the minimum level for me is that this is at least one other person. But yeah, I think at that point you can divide work into your strong uh, suits and your weak suits, um, and that's helpful. But it, it's I think between my dad and I, it's been a game of how much can we do just the two of us. We set our constraints, and then we try to kind of outperform them. Yeah. So we we have very limited space in terms of square footage. And then we just have, you know, me and him and now my wife. So we, we kind of cheated on the people part, but the constraint of not a lot of space is an interesting one I think about too, because if we had a big shop, I'd spend all my time walking around. So yeah. it's, a, it's a blessing to have everything crammed in. Uh, it doesn't feel that way all the time, but on some level, it allows us to do what we do because you can't have 10,000 square feet and one person. You know, it, it it's all relative to yeah uh, to that. It seems like to me that your secret is constraints. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, constrain yourself how big of a part you want. Constrain yourself how many people you want. Constrain yourself about how much work you can take. And by doing that, it enables you to, you know, science shows people do better things when they have limitations. Absolutely. Yeah. Versus if you have an unlimited amount of room or. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 uh, it's something that I don't know that we set out thinking of, but, but when it came down to it, it was, you know, we're in the shop we're in, let's make the best of it. Uh, we have the people we have, let's make the best of it. And and it kind of all goes together then to be kind of your, your signature, (laughs) you know, the the guys in the garage making the little parts that, yeah, but it, you know, it all came together for us. Very interesting. A couple other questions. Um, What is something interesting you learned uh, last week? (laughs) I was listening to your other shows and and you mentioned that. I'm like, I should probably think of something. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, kind of slipped my mind. I've been I've been looking. We want to fix up our house, and I heard you were doing some renovations too. Um, <laughs> so I've been like, my head's been just in like different things we can do to our deck uh, lately. So I've been looking at putting a roof over our deck. So that's kind of where I've been. Oh, interesting. At mentally lately. So, uh, and how on earth are you going to have any time when you live in your machine shop? Well, that's the thing. I got to no, find no a contractor. Pun intended. To... <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, we had a, we have a contractor. My dad hired a contractor to do a couple things around the shop. So I gotta, I gotta get his number and get mm. him over to my house. Yeah. That is a very important thing to be learning. And a good contractor is man, that's tough to find. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's the, that's kind of one of the things on, on Instagram. I spend some time on there. Oh yeah. And I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Before we wrap it up. I will. Yeah. And I, it, it's fun to find uh, in, in all occupations, there's people on there that are passionate about what they do. There's a lot of machinists on there that are super into, uh, you know, highlighting their great work, but there's carpenters on there. Um, I had a guy uh, that detailed my car, uh, this uh this last week and he just posts you know transformations of these cars that come in that are filthy and shines them up and man they look great and i just love seeing that uh level of passion for whatever you're doing and i like to think that's kind of reflects what i do on instagram i totally need most people say oh i need to do less social media i probably totally need to do more social media (laughs) like (laughs) i just avoid it I, I finally looked at your Instagram and I realized, yeah, we, we were followers of, of your Instagram. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we have somebody that does it for us. Okay. But yeah, very cool stuff. And you, you say that that's helped you get clients? Yeah, there's been a few few customers that I've met, actually a couple that are, are close by um, randomly that you know you hook up on there and you end up not being too far away from each other. Um, but more than anything, it's, it's just other, uh, like-minded people that are into machining or into Swiss or, you know, just doing their own thing. A lot of guys that are just in their garage working on stuff, even though I work primarily by myself and and with my dad and my wife, a lot of that coworker type camaraderie is, is on there for me. Hmm. A couple guys that I, you know, message with that would, it's probably more akin to, you know, hanging out during break you know, in the break room, which is good. I, I don't, I don't, I think feel I like need... me too. I, I totally miss out on that. I feel like, I mean, yeah. we, we have some people we work with, but you, you must feel that way a little bit, a little yeah, isolated. You, yeah. But it, like I said, I, I, I like, uh, I like working by myself. I don't, you know, there's always that one guy in, in the shop that's practical joking half the time and messing with you. I'm glad I don't have to put up with that. But at the same time, <laughs> Uh, it's nice to have, you know, a couple jokes here and there that if, if you don't want to do it, you can put your phone away and just work. Um, but if you want to do it, That's interesting. So it, it gives out. you, it gives you a little bit of a community. Absolutely. Yeah. I really appreciate it. This was so much fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget to tell your friends. 
Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch videos of extended interviews. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is William Steffi. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. 